This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. Freezing cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I outran a cold front. When I gave my truck the rent Barreling down I 35 with one thought on my mind Forget the race, find an open space Hey there, howdy. Welcome in to this edition of Other Side of Texas. More and more of you listening. You want to be a part of the programs we roll along. Best to text in today because we've got a lot going on. 8065 745-5800-806-745-5800 as we roll along. And if you're listening on your drive to work, you're always welcome to send your thoughts to Jay at Other Side of Texas. Thank you for hanging out here on the other side. Jay West Texas Leasons. We roll along from the Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. I know you all have big vacation plans to head up to the hub city so while you're here maybe the wind blows a little bit makes you a little bit tougher and uh, gets a little bit of dirt on your car maybe it'll rain mud which is worth the kids seeing at least once head on to racer car wash five locations in lubbock uh, voted the best wash five years around for a reason go to racerwash.com find your location you might see me right there with the um I love Lubbock bumper sticker on the old Tundra. So today, set up the program, Congressman Will Hurd out of the Texas 23rd Congressional District is going to come on the program. We're going to have, we do a lot of this on the program, uh, long-form interviews. And we'll get into a longer edition with Congressman Hurd coming up in about 10 minutes from now. We'll hear from Congressman Hurd and talk about, it's intriguing, he is—he stands to lose the most of any elected official right now. Uh, those who are, have the most public criticism of the president are those who are outgoing. Uh, full transparency, I'll state it again later, I voted for Trump in the primary, in the GOP primary, I voted for him in the general, I was Trump all the way through. But we do live in America, and there's not a monarchy and sometimes the people in charge need to be held accountable. Congressman Hurd has some points to make on those fronts. And he's not the crazy never-Trumper. And it's not the opposite either of always Trump. So Congressman Hurd coming up here. What's grinding my gears, what I want to talk about is something that came out Sunday, Monday. And we try not to focus on on urban issues too much but there are urban issues that begin to seep into the countryside and other sides of texas and so i want to take up the matter for just a moment of what's going on with suggestions in austin now it's easy to get knee-jerk and say well this is just crazy talk but i will say this it was crazy talk when we can you imagine in the 80s beginning to wonder about the mascots of high school football teams and well we think that it is a cultural appropriation of this group or that group 
that would have been crazy for us then. But to rename Austin is uh, a heck of a notion. Go to the statesman here. And hear me out, because I'm going to hit both sides of the issue. Known as the father of Texas and the namesake of the state's capital, Stephen F. Austin carved out early outlines of Texas among his many accomplishments. He also opposed an attempt by Mexico to ban slavery in the province of Tejas. Now, this is according to the statesman. This is disputed amongst historians, but let's go with what they're cooking here. And if slaves were freed, they would turn into, quote, vagabonds, a nuisance, and a menace, end quote. For that reason, the city of Austin's equity office suggested renaming the city in a report about existing Confederate monuments that was published this week. Also on the list of possibly things to be renamed, there are some streets and avenues and roads. The city estimates it would cost about $6,000 to rename the seven uh, streets and roads uh, involved here. While the cost of such changes might appear reasonable, opposition to similar renamings has tended to revolve around the inconvenience and expense faced by longtime homeowners and business owners who must deal with a new address. I think the problem is much deeper, and I think the statesman does too. It's... um, the first approach is always to go after the economic, but there are deeper underpinnings involved. The What I want to get to is the bottom of the story, and I'll ask the question here in a moment. The equity office's report concludes, quote, It is essential to acknowledge the societal values of fl- are fluid, and they can be and are different today compared to when our city made decisions to name and or place these confederate symbols in our community now what in the world is i'll get to universities in a moment but do cities really have the wherewithal to have equity offices in the bureaucrats that go into equity offices is that where we are now that well are we right or are we wrong? Let's go to the equity office's wheel and just spin it and see what, what they have to say. Now, that's, bureau, that's bureaucracy gone amok. Whenever we get, I get it. I get it. There needs to be reciprocity within a society, in a civil society. But an equity office? And who decides what's equitable? Now, look, there are two kinds of crazies I see in the public square today. And the one is, and I promise you, involved in the equity office, and I'm not going to take the time to do the freedom of information and all those things, but I promise you, involved in the equity office in Austin is department heads or people associated with activist disciplines there at the university. And speaking of the universities, what is the deal with these Department of Equity, Inclusion, Tolerance, uh, Green Bubble Love, and Rainbow Stew? what are we doing at that point to have uh, to have those in the universities and more and more they're in the news calling the shots because everything's on social media now and they're calling the shots and equity always makes people a little bit tense because again who's deciding what's equal that's the first kind of crazy in the public square whenever it comes to these discussions. The second crazy that doesn't help anything at all 
is today's Southern Republican who says something along the lines of, well, the Democratic Party's a party of slavery. Well, okay, let's look at some things. And I don't know if you want to put causation to it, but you can certainly put correlation. And we'll just take Lubbock County, for example. And to the point, hold on, let me back up for just a second. To the point about consequences outside of Austin seeping in to other parts of Texas, I just go through a few Abilene Reporter News. If Austin goes that way, then guess what? Ballinger was named after a uh, veteran of the Civil War. Robert Lee, of course. Scurry County after General William R. Scurry. Stevens County and Stonewall County. And Thomas S. Lubbock, who was a colonel for the Confederacy for whom the city and the county is named. So how far do we want to take this? And again, back to Southern Republican today, that the Democratic Party is the party of slavery. 1964, here's the correlation. 1964, and I'm just thinking out loud, and I'm able to do that because we just talk about, we get into the nuances here. 1964, the Civil Rights Act passes. One of them passes. The biggest one passes. Linda Johnson says we've just lost the Democratic Party to the South and other places. 1965 and beyond, Lubbock never votes for, and a lot of the region never votes for, another uh, Democrat. Well, I shouldn't say a lot of the region. Lubbock led the front on that. Now, am I calling Lubbock racist? No. What I am saying is that Southern Republican guy making those claims about the Democratic Party needs to read a book. And if you're going to have it that way with the Republican Party and stapling the Democratic Party is that, tell me about Horace Greeley, the publisher of the New York Tribune, who was a socialist and named the Republican Party. Tell me about Horace Greeley. Tell me more about him. Tell me about William T. Sherman who believed so much in local control that he took a match to Atlanta. What about Sam and Chase? You think Sam and Chase, the sixth chief justice of these United States of America, was a big states rights guy on Lincoln's cabinet during the Civil War, pushing Lincoln to do more and more? You guys need to read a book. Uh, Southern Republican guy pinning that on the Republican Party. And dare I say, some of you activists in Austin... <clears throat> need to start reading different books that's just where we're going to kick off we're going to get i'm going to calm down over the break we're going to get uh our friend our new friend johnny can't drink will hurt johnny right here on the program stick right right here right here on the other side of texas yeah but he's 18 and he's pretty handy with a gun When you're best friends with the founder of the Lubbock County Militia, you get your own radio show. It's The Other Side of Texas with Jay Leeson. Top it off, I'm bound for Texas. On this long stretch of Interstate 10. I've got all Louisiana. Well, he is uh, got quite the resume. He's with the CIA for nine years, 2000 to 2009, did a tour in Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India, brief members of Congress on 
what was the difference between the respective parties involved in Islamic civil wars for centuries? He returned to Texas to do cybersecurity, and then he ran successfully for Congress in 2004. He is Congressman Will Hurd out of Texas 23rd. How are you, Congressman? Jay, I'm great. It's always good to be home in Texas. <laughs> are you home now? I am. I am. I'm in. I'm in San Antonio, uh, which is where I was born and raised, and it's kind of the eastern end of my district. And then I go all the way to El Paso. So yeah, twenty nine counties, two time zones, eight hundred twenty miles of border, uh, larger than twenty six states, roughly the size of Georgia. How many miles of border? Eight hundred and twenty. Okay, that's roughly two thirds, three fourths of the Texas border. Uh, I, it's about a it's about a third, a little bit over a third. You got about two thousand miles of, of border between the U.S. and Mexico. Well, I'm just talking about on the Texas part, about two thirds. Oh, oh, on the Texas part, yeah, it's it's about two thirds. Yeah, I see herds twenty third, and it is a lot of border there. But let's uh, let's do cyber intelligence for just a moment. I always sure. like to get free advice. Got my own radio show, and so I can get some free advice. So give me some tips here, Congressman. Look, first and for, I'm, keep, I'm keeping I'm keeping your your digital information secure. Uh, no, I've got some questions about my digital okay. information. Okay, gotcha. Now these are all hypotheticals, but how bad an idea on a scale of one to ten, ten being the worst, is it for me to text a password or some sort of credit card information to my wife? <laughs> I give that. I'd give that an, an eight. Um, and the only reason I would say that it's, it's not a 10 is because if your wife wants that information, you got to deal with the, with the aftermath. Oh, the two points of uh, husband <laughs> shame. Okay. So, yeah, it's either the Russians or my wife's anger. Uh, actually, she hates it whenever. I'm not saying I've ever done it, but she would hate it if I were to do it. Online passwords. Is it better to use long phrases or just a lot of characters, asterisks, number signs, at signs, that sort of thing? Well, uh, the, the most important thing is that you have you have more than uh, 14 characters. Mm. Um, and 14 characters or more. I, I should be better. I should explain. And it should yeah. be a mix of punctuation. A capitalization, uh, numbers, and, and letters. Okay. Um, so, 14. so you know, it, it's hard to remember. It's hard to remember just random, random letters and, and combinations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so coming up with some kind of phrase, uh, but something that's not, you know, don't look at every fourteen-letter word there is. Uh, make sure it's, it's not it's multiple words. All right, uh, your tech solutions here with. Will Hurd. Yeah, with Thomas and Will Hurd. And, you know, yeah, exactly. Okay, I love so it. So over, over under, over under, cybersecurity expert of an hour, uh, would it take you more or less than an hour to hack my Twitter password? Uh, I'm going to go ahead, since you're texting your wife your password, I'm going to say under an hour. <laughs> I said all hypothetical. And here's my <laughs> last question. In the Hurd household, in the Hurd Ponderosa, are the webcams covered with post-it notes? <laughs> uh, they are indeed. They are indeed. Wow. So, hey, so I want to have a good conversation with you here. As folks drive home on Tuesday and listen to it and they're uh, on their drives the rest of the week in their, in their cars and they're passing it to their coworkers. 
here on the program, but here's the deal. You have had plenty of criticism of President Donald Trump and have vocalized these criticisms very publicly. But many Americans and American figures are critical of the president, the, the never-Trumpers, and I can get into those guys, The all, and then there's the always-Trumpers, but let's focus on the never-Trumpers, and they seem to be the most vocal. But then there's another cohort, another cohort, I should say, that's very vocal in their criticism, and those are outgoing Republican office holders, most notably, I think, folks like Senator Bob Corker, Tennessee, and Jeff Flake in Arizona. But what strikes me to be very different about your criticisms are two things. One, the tone is not never Trump. You're not some urban, college-town, liberal, flashing you know your breast at a full moon crying out for the for the cosmos <laughs> to destroy the administration number one right, right. and that those are the craziest people hey, thanks thanks for, thanks for making that distinction yeah but there's another distinction you are not an outgoing republican official you're in the midst of a re-election so we're going to get into your specific criticisms but i want to talk on a general principle from a twenty thousand foot view why have you chosen to be so publicly critical of Mr. Trump, Congressman. Well, look, it, it's it's. I, I would say I'm, I'm being honest, right? The one thing my father told me is, "There's one person you can't fool, and that's the person you're looking at when you're brushing your teeth." And so I agree when I agree, and I disagree when I disagree. And there's been many times that I've actually um, have agreed with with this administration, and then on times that I have disagreed, it, it, it's. We're able to be, I, you can disagree without being disagreeable. And talking about policy and talking about, um, you know, the, the competition of ideas is what made this country a great. And it's not being disloyal uh, to, to dif- disagree. And, and, and ultimately, I think most folks realize that you're never going to agree 100% of the time with, um, with anyone, right? I always tell folks, like, you know, you don't agree with your spouse 100% of the time, uh, but even though your, your wife is probably always right, you know, um, that doesn't necessarily mean you, you, you agree. And so uh, agree when you disagree, and uh, agree when you agree, disagree when you disagree, and do it in a constructive way is, is the philosophy I've always, I've always taken. And guess what? I did that under the last administration, I did it under this administration, and I'm going to continue doing that. Would you have done it differently, and this is retrospect, but you were out covert in the field, Afghanistan and Pakistan, and this is, what, 2000, 2001, and then following September 11th. Uh, would you Would you have been as publicly disagreeable in your current position with the Bush administration on its foreign policy. Um, so, if I was in Congress, yeah, I, I, w- I would have, right? Um, because I only know, know one way to be. And look, I, I spent I spent nine and a half years as an undercover officer in the CIA. I was the guy in the back alleys at four o'clock in the morning in dark places and dangerous in, in dark spots and dangerous places. And um, you know, my job was to collect intelligence on threats to our homeland. And so I have a, an experience um, and an expertise that, that is unique in Congress. And so when you look at some of the things that I have 
disagreed on. It is things that are in my my area of expertise and something that I've spent uh, basically my entire adult life working on. And so 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 that's where I, I try to, to to spend my time. And if that means um, I'm on the other side of a particular issue, then let's try to figure out a way to to get to some kind of uh, agreement. And so. Um, it is that. That's why the people of the 23rd uh, district uh, elected me is to use that background experience, especially when it comes to issues of national security. The uh, I'm not going to dwell on the past for very long, but just to you've laid out that you want to be honest in all facets, regardless of administrations. But your briefing. Congress on the differences between Sunni and Shiite Muslims, and you're involved, you're integrated in that world at that point, and it's been an awfully expensive endeavor since 2001 and forward. Uh, what are we still getting, what was George W. Bush and his administration getting wrong in that conflict, and what are we still getting wrong? Uh, well, one of the things that the, the, the George W. Bush administration got wrong is kind of understanding the, the cultural um, nuance of, of the, the, the tribal areas of, of Pakistan. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's hard to really understand what, what 3,000 years of, of history has on a people. Um, I, I, used to, I used to handle... A former Mujahideen. And this was this was one of the original fighters in the eighties that were fighting the Russians. And he was somewhere between the age of sixty and hundred and twenty. You know, life had been had been rough on, on him. And he said he he said, I've been a a, a Pakistani for uh fifty years. You know, Pakistan is a country is young. Um I've been a Muslim for one thousand six hundred and forty years, but I've been a Pashtun, which is the ethno linguistic group of these tribal areas, it's like the equivalent of saying, uh, um, you know, Cherokee or Shoshone or something like that. He said, I've been a Pashtun for 3,333 years. And, and so not understanding how that kind of culture impacts the people, that is the, that is the error uh, that was made when it came to the decision, some of the decisions we were making in, in Afghanistan. Um, we also weren't putting enough pressure on, on Pakistan um, to get rid of the groups and the parts of the Taliban that were in Pakistan. It's very clear that Taliban is based in Quetta. Quetta is the capital of a province in, in Pakistan. Um, we knew that, and we did not, we did not pressure uh, the Pakistanis enough to root out um, the, the Taliban. Okay. I feel like I just got to crash course and all that. So, but okay, so now we've established that you would have been as outspoken, even if you were elected to Congress in the uh, the Bush administration and forward. So let's go into some specifics with Trump and with mm-hmm. President, and uh, let's talk about these issues uh, respectively. Immigration. What's your big difference with Trump right now? Um, you know, I, I uh, what is my big distri- difference? Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting because I actually believe President Trump um, wants to solve the DACA problem. I actually uh, believe he is supportive of of streamlining the the immigration system. 
Um, you know, and, and so I think it comes down to some of the details. I, I actually believe that Congress put a bipartisan piece of legislation um, on his desk. Um, he would sign it. And and so, so but Congressman, let me interject yeah. there. There are those yeah. who believe there is a bipartisan effort, and you've been criticized as not being a part of that effort on the Dream Act. Yeah, and well, the Dream Act is not bipartisan, right? Okay. Um, there, there, the Dream Act has been around for eighteen years, and so if if the Dream Act couldn't get done um, under Barack Obama when he had sixty votes in the the Senate and a supermajority in the House, you know, that's not a realistic piece of legislation. That's something that has been around. You know, I, I've had actually three careers uh, for as long as the DREAM Act has, has been out. And so, so that's not, uh, it's actually not a reasonable, and I think there's one or two Republicans that have signed on to that. Um, but it's, it's, not a, it's not a reasonable solution. Now, I, I did work with a, a Democrat from California, Pete Aguilar, on the USA Act, which is a very narrow fix um, for DACA, um, these 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 kids that basically have been in, in the United States, but the United States through no fault of their own, that have already contributed um, to our, our our culture, our history, our economy. Uh, they have clean uh, records. Uh, they're going to school or they're they're working. Um, you know about this population. You know, five percent of them are entrepreneurs, which is more than twice the the national average. So it's a very narrow fix for that. I'm um, an increase in immigration judges, and um, it is a, a, a working with the root causes of illegal immigration coming into our country, which is you know problems in El Salvador, um, Guatemala, and and Honduras. Um, they have rule of law issues. Less than 1% of the people that are convicted of a crime in those three countries actually go to prison, um, which is ridiculous. Uh, you have violence, and the violence is only um, exacerbated by by this political corruption and their inability um, to deal with, with the narco. So, so it, it addresses some of these root causes through a program called the Millennium Challenge. And the fourth piece is what I call the smart wall. You know, it is 2018. We don't have control of our border um we should the, the head of border patrol should okay. be able to Congressman, say let, let me yeah, stop go ahead, you just one second because i want to yeah. get into the wall because sure. i think there's a greater contrast between you and the president there but i will say that what i appreciate about because there are people who would say and i'll have to check the text line here in a moment but it is a criticism that i hear about you that you're hiding in the demographics of your district which on this program, anybody who knows, who listens to this program regularly, is that I'm a big champion of voting your district, regardless sure. of what your political stripe is to vote your district. But you have, I believe your opponent and others have criticized you for your stance on DACA, but that seems to me the whole, well, you know, his district, this district 23 is made up, I believe, of uh, Pew polls is 72% Latino. But that assumes a tired line uh, and a tired way of thinking that I'm quite tired of listening to that Latino, therefore Democrat. And that's not coming to bear. And I don't know when we just drop that and actually start uh, trying to appeal to people's uh, principles rather than their skin color. But on this point, I think that, you know, the pressure is because your district is so heavily Latino 
that you give in to measures that, as you say, aren't bipartisan? Uh, well, I, I ha- like I, what I just described is it was is actually the only bipartisan uh, solution that's out there in Congress right now. Yeah, well, um, assuming so, that the Dream Act is bipartisan, that's that's the basis of the criticism. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and I would say that that's that's wrong because the Dream Act isn't bipartisan, and it's something that's been around for seventeen, eighteen years, okay. so, and was unable to get passed in um, in in a completely Democratic-held um, supermajority yeah. in the Senate and the House. So, Congressman um, Hurd, let's move over to the wall then. Sure, And sure. we just established that, what, um, somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the Texas border with Mexico is your district. Yeah. Uh, you have had disagreement with the president. We've had Poncho Navarez, State Representative Poncho Navarez, House District 74 Eagle Pass on the program. Yep. He's wondered if his – can you imagine – a uh, ranking member, I'll just call him that, of of a party in a state having their home behind a wall. And uh, he's come on. I've seen reports about state parks in the Texas 23rd that mm-hmm. would be shut down because of a wall. And then you've got the ag and ranch interests, a continuous solid structure. Talk to us about why. You just got into it before I cut you off. But why have you taken sure. difference with the president on the wall? Because uh, building a 30-foot-high concrete structure from sea to shining sea is the most expensive and least effective way to do border security. Hmm. Um, we, we don't have uh, control of our border, right? It's very clear. We have, you know, uh, narco-traficantes are making $66 billion a year in the United States. And you still have tens of thousands of people coming in here illegally. And the, the only way you're going to secure the border is if you think about all 2,000 miles of border at the same time. And there are parts, there are, there are, there are significant parts of, of the border where Border Patrol's response time is measured in hours to days. If your response time is measured in hours to days, a wall is not a physical barrier. So we need to be using technology. And the technology exists where you can determine a bunny rabbit from a person, you can track that person until you're able to deploy your most important resource, the men and women in, in Border Patrol. And, and guess what? We're not using the latest and greatest technology on the border. Um, if the head of Border Patrol wanted to know what's happening at mile marker 16, he should be able to press a button, push a button and, and that get displayed of what's going on in that sector. We can't do that. You know, let, let's take uh, the, the sector is, uh, the border's broken up into sectors. So let's take El Paso sector. El Paso sector has 300 miles. Only 60 miles has persistent technology, so cameras or things that you can see. Only 60 miles of those 300 miles. Right? So where there, is, where, there is, where there is urban to urban contact, a, a, a wall or a fence is indeed a, a, a physical barrier because it allows Border Patrol to respond. That's oftentimes where Border Patrol is not even along the border. So, so I'm looking at this from strictly a how do you stop bad guys from coming in? We need to be using technology. In the 80s, you had people running in through San Diego on the, on the, on the, on the highways. Then we've put all of our resources there. Then they moved to Tucson. Then we put more resources in Tucson. Then they moved to RGB, the Rio Grande Valley. Then we're fo- putting focus there. So that is, you know, you have to look at all 2,000 miles. The only way you can do that, technology, manpower. Um, there's, there's a problem with Border Patrol, too. It's they're not hiring enough people, and they're not retaining them. 
border, they're, they're about 40% of the men and women in Border Patrol that get reassigned from, from one station to another. Let's say they go from Tucson to Eagle Pass. They have to pay for their own move. They pay for the move of themselves and their family. Hmm. That's, that's ridiculous. I, I've never heard of any business or company that does that. So guess what happens? That they're going to have to move that man or woman in Border Patrol is going to go look for another job in, in federal law enforcement. So you have a retention problem within Border Patrol, which is preventing us from getting to hiring more people. Now, there are 2,000 positions within Border Patrol that are unfilled. And, and so, so if, you use, if you have the manpower and the technology, we're going to actually secure this border. And what we should be measuring is not how many miles of a wall we have. We should be measuring, do we see a decrease in the drugs that's coming into our country? Do we see a decrease in the illegal immigration that comes in? And if you don't know what the denominator of that number is, then you're never going to have a true understanding of what's happening at our border. And so, so let's do that. Uh, let's also work with, the, uh, with Mexico on securing their southern border. Most of the illegal immigration that's coming in, it's not coming from, it's not, it's not Mexicans. It is people coming from El Salvador, Nicaragua, uh, El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, excuse me. So how about we work with the Mexicans with their southern border and do some of the similar things so we can stop the problem before it reaches our shores. And when it comes to the drug trafficking organizations, we need to be spending uh, more of our national intelligence asset against this problem set. And when you look at the drugs that are coming into our country, you have more people dying from, from drug poisoning than you do from terrorism and, and many other things. And so, so with, with um, the, the fentanyl uh, problem that's coming in, you know, fentanyl, 11 pounds of fentanyl can kill about 3 million people uh, uh, from, one, from one dose. 11 pounds is something you can break up into, you know, two backpacks. Um, so we have, to be, we have to be thinking about those issues. And then when you look at the bad guys, like I said earlier, conservative estimate, they're making $66 billion in the United States. The U.S. intelligence budget is $60 billion. Hmm. Who do you think is winning that? Um, Coast Guard. Coast Guard is only able to action 25% of the known intelligence of drugs coming into our country through the coast. So that means 75% of the known drugs that we know are coming in are getting into our country, and we know it's there, but we don't have the cutters and the people in, in Coast Guard to do this. So, so, so that is a better use of, of our hard-earned taxpayer dollars um, than using a fourth-century solution. Congressman Will Hurd, I'm going to transition now, and I'm going to let Jake Tapper do what I can't do eloquently <laughs> enough with my West Texas drawl. I want to... Uh, after Helsinki, you went on with Jake Tapper. I want to play for you that audio. I got a couple of yeah. follow-up questions. What was your response to the way President Trump interacted with President Putin? Well, I, I, I said earlier today, um, you know, having spent almost a decade as an undercover officer in the CIA, having spent my time here in Congress uh, working with our allies uh, across the world who have to face the Russian menace, um, I never would have thought, I, I've seen um, uh, the Russian intelligence and, uh, you know, manipulate many people in, in my career, and, and I never would have thought 
uh, the U.S. president would be would be one of them. Um, so it's disappointing. Um, it also th that press conference showed uh, why Vladimir Putin is is so formidable when it comes to disinformation. Um, because I actually believe that press conference was disinformation. It was very clear um, what their attempts were in, in order to uh, uh, undergird our democratic institutions. Um, why is why should we be concerned uh, about Vladimir Putin? Uh, why should we be concerned about organizations like NATO? Uh, NATO is something that has stood in the way of Russia's um, designs to reestablish the territory or integrity of the USSR. Um, NATO has allowed for 70 years of peace and prosperity in Europe, which has allowed mm -hmm. us to trade with them, which has allowed us to grow our economy, which has allowed okay, us so to have a great Congressman Hurd, here's my follow-up. Yep. What you either insinuate it, imply it, or say it. Has the president been manipulated? Uh, you say you never thought an American president would be manipulated by the Russian mm -hmm. government. Has he been manipulated through some sort of compromise, in your opinion? No, not through some, some sort of compromise, um, but, but when you have uh, the Russian president um, spreading lies and disinformation, and the, the image is the leader of the free world um, shaking his head in the green, um, that is, that is a, an example of disinformation. So, so not, that the, that, not some tape or not some record, but he's just been essentially duped? Is that what you're saying? Uh, that, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm 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 implying because this was this when you when you and let me give more details. So uh, Putin made a comment about the Ukraine, where he said that the Ukrainians needed to be a more reasonable in trying to resolve the conflict in Crimea, which is a a part of Ukraine and the Donbass, which is often referred to as Eastern Ukraine. Now, he said that the Ukrainians need to be more reasonable in coming to a, a just conclusion to that conflict. Well, the Russians invaded Ukraine. It is Russian tanks, it is Russian military that is in Crimea, that is in Eastern Ukraine. And if, and if, and if Vladimir Putin wanted to, to, uh, to resolve this conflict, he can very easily pull his troops out. And no. so in this case, in this case, when he says that, and he's not rebutted, when he's not challenged, when, when, uh, that is, when that, when that, when that's, um, but, but, but instead, you're shaking your head in agreement, yeah. right? That image is a tool that Vladimir Putin is going to use in trying to further this conflict and in, in, in validating the Russian position. You know, I, I was horrified. I was horrified by the previous um, uh, administration under Obama, and the State Department oftentimes referred to what was happening in Ukraine as a separatist movement. That's outrageous. It was an invasion of a country. And, and so we have to call it that Ukraine is our friend. Ukraine is on the front, on the front lines of dealing with the Russians. And so, so an example like that, what happened with Israel, it happened with Iran, and so that's what I was saying was that that was an opportunity to push back against um, this, these disinformation campaigns of the Russians, and okay. and we didn't. So it was outrageous. Uh, the the Russian menace. Uh, the president's been duped. Uh, his 
has had open criticism of NATO, which safeguards the old Russian menace and what seems to still be a Russian menace. And I'm, I have to ask you here, um, are these what you've seen thus far in your experience, uh, in your professional experience, and then as a representative of the U.S. Congress, is what you've seen thus far from this administration impeachable grounds? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I could say that, right? So you can't um, say either way. Well, cause the, yeah, no, because look, cause here's what I would say. I, I also agree with the president that all the other countries should be paying their 2% of their dues for NATO, right? Germany should not be buying oil, or excuse me, a natural gas from the Russians, who we're all trying to, to deal with, And the right? president has so, made that point, yeah. Yeah, so 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 you know, it, it's 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 everybody wants to look at some of these issues as if they're zero sum games. They're not. All of these things can be true ultimately at the at the same time. What then? And, and so, so we've laid out that, uh, and I've laid out here that you're clearly not always Trump, and you're clearly not never Trump. You're setting up a voice that I think a lot of people are beginning to pay attention to. Well, here is a reasonable person who's got his district and the country in his in his best interest. What is the line in the sand then with the administration? Are you waiting on the Mueller the Mueller report, or what is the line in the sand where you where you put it down? Because at the end of the day, it's going to have to be black or white. It can't be gray on where we stand on this matter. On 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 which matter? On the matter of where the president's motivations are. Well, look, I I don't think um, I I think our investigation. So I, I sit on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. And, and our, our investigation revealed, it confirmed what the intelligence community had said, that the Russians attempted to manipulate our election, but we didn't see any evidence of collusion uh, between the, the between what is the difference, uh, though, and Trump. Between, what's the difference between manipulation and collusion? Uh, very, it, it was done, I, I think collusion is you are working towards the same goal, and you have have worked together and made plans together and conspired okay. together right. um, to to do something. See, I, that I think manipulated. That context actually helps me, Congressman. I'm interjected because yeah. I know your time's short, and I've got one more sure. thing to get to. But uh, you sent out tweets on the 16th that said, as a former CIA officer and a congressman of the House Intelligence Committee, I can affirmatively say that there's nothing about agreeing with a thug like Putin that puts America first. And then you said, the president is wrong. Russia interfered in the 2016 election and seeks to undermine our democracy. And for you to come on this program and delineate a difference between manipulation and collusion, I think is a very helpful background for those tweets. No, and I, I appreciate the question too, because you know, often like you know, I talk about this so much, you know, it becomes it becomes second nature. Uh, but but yeah, it, look, it, it's just like um, I think I think Barack Obama got manipulated by the Iranians in the pursuit of the Iranian deal. Right, the, the Iran deal was a terrible deal, and it allows Iran in order to uh, to get a nuclear weapon. But but uh, President Obama and and then Secretary John Kerry uh, believed that the Iranians were going to be some kind of new model world citizen and join and stop, you know, supporting terrorist group that's killing Americans, that's that's trying to kill is, is Israel is, Israelis, 
um, that that they are um, not the largest state sponsor of terrorism, right? Like like that, but, you know, in those conversations between those those leaders, um, they were ultimately uh, manipulated to believe um, one way of what the intentions of the Iranian government was. Hmm. Uh, Will Hurd, Congressman Will Hurd, I want to transition, and I'll use one of your tweets to make that transition since 2016 i've called on obama and trump to take action against putin we should not start trade wars with our allies and play nice with communist tyrants congressman Hurd, let's get in with trade this is my last Uh topic here uh he campaigned on this right so Uh whenever i talk about me voting him in, in the primary rubio cruz and the whole band to go through uh, the South and leading up to March 1 and SEC Day and the GOP primary, and they're talking about the old rote memory supply-side economics in rural regions that have been routed by globalism. Trump comes in and says, hey, we're, uh, and I'll use the phrase that a farmer told me yesterday, uh, we're taking a screwing on these trade deals and have for 30 years. Nobody's done anything about it. And everybody's up in arms now because Trump is doing, in my view, and there are lots of things you can criticize the president on fairly, but he always said he was going to do this. I don't understand why it's a surprise to anybody. Why do you differ with him on trade? Well, so so I would say, yes, um, historically there, there have been some deals. Uh, you look at um, the, the sheep and goat industry in, in West Texas was impacted um, by, by trade agreements about 30, 35 years ago. Um, but, but when you look at individual uh, deals like NAFTA, um, NAFTA has increased the U.S., Mexico, and, and Canadian economy about 400%. Uh, you look at um, uh, 80% of the, the beef uh, that is that is is produced in Texas goes to Mexico. Um, you look at you talk to anybody who works for Toyota in the south side of San Antonio. Uh, Toyota, um, you know, has has created a lot of jobs in in south side uh, San Antonio. Um, we can go on now. Did it need to be updated? Of course. Um, 24 years ago, a little thing called Amazon didn't exist. The, the company, not the river. Um, you know that nobody. The words, the words, Eagleford uh, wasn't known to, to to people, and so there was a lot of, uh, of changes. But but what we're seeing with some of these trade wars is this this new need to kind of prop up agriculture because they're getting impacted by by um, uh, these these tariffs. And if you like to drink cold beer on a hot day or, or grill a steak um, at night or, or, or on the weekends or have to fill up your car with, with gas or buy clothes for your kids um, before uh, they go back to school, you know, uh, the, the U.S. consumer is the one that's impacted by some of these issues. Now, let's focus on the real problem, China. China is dumping fuel um, on the world market. Uh, let's let's focus there. And, and we had a real opportunity with this company called ZTE. Uh, ZTE is a Chinese company that's, let's, let's call it, it's, it's almost like the Chinese version of AT&T. And they were found to have violated a number of international laws, right, by selling stuff to the North Koreans, the Iranians, and I believe there was, I, I believe the Russians, right? And so, so this administration rightfully so said, okay, guess what? You're not going to be able to buy parts in the United States anymore. Since they make phones, uh, many of the chips were produced here in the United States. 
Basically, ZTE was on its knees and was going to fall, fail, and it was the largest Chinese company. It was the largest company in China. So while we had ZTE on its knees, what we should have done is said, hey, you're going to start treating American companies in China like Chinese companies. Because in America, we treat Chinese companies operating in America as American companies. Um, China prevents people from invest, prevents Americans and Westerners from investing in certain sectors. Yet we allow Chinese to invest in those same sectors here in the United States. So we had an opportunity to, 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 to level the playing field on those issues. However, all we did was slap a $1.5 billion fine on ZTE and let them get back up. Um, so, so focusing some of these efforts on the countries that are being doing the offending is, is valuable. Uh, when you look at um, you know, trade with, with, with Europe or, or Germany specifically, um, Germany puts tariffs on some U.S. cars. Um, but the reason is because back in the 60s when this trade deal was agreed to, um, we, put trade, we put tariffs on German trucks coming in the long-haul trucks and on um, poultry to, to protect the, the, the poultry industry in the United States. So, so usually there's always some kind of uh, a response to some of those things. And if we want to look at those holistically, great. Uh, but but let's, let's focus on the true problem. The true problem was China. And let's do that in a way uh, that we're going to stop the behavior rather than doing something that ultimately impacts uh, the American consumer. So rather than look at pan global, let's focus at the biggest actor in China and go from there. For sure. Yeah. He is Congressman Will Hurd. I know you got things to do. I hope this won't be the last time you'll check in with us again soon. Took you a little bit long. Hope, <laughs> hope your staff isn't sneering at me right now. No, they're not, Jay. It's always a pleasure. Thank All you, right. and we'll definitely do it again. Good so. to have you on, Congressman Will Hurd. Get him at Hurd on the Hill there on Twitter. Thank you, Congressman. We're going to transition uh, into uh, tell you a little bit more about what's going on around here and then get into, um, golly, where are we? Oh, man, uh, the rest of the week. Uh, stick with us. Plenty more coming up right here on the other side of the A number one in the land. A shoe shine man. Make you shine where you stand. Leave me a tip if you can. I'm a shoe shine man. Well, I can sing, I can dance, I can play the harmonica. Howdy, Jay. West Texas Leeson here. I'm going to tell you about my friends at Flint Boot and Hat. They've been building hats since 1994 and repairing boots, I guess, since forever. My dog chewed up my ostrich boots. Jared and his guys replaced the heel, made them look new again, put new pulls on, and at a super affordable price, they've resold my boots, and they build great hats. Love these guys. Go check them out. 3035. 34th Street or Flint Boot and Hat Shop at Flint and 34th Street. See more at FlintHat.com. Molded out of red clay and baked in the West Texas sun to perfection is the other side of Texas with Jay Leeson. Lord, it's the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? I don't know the be- 
my boys are just old enough now that we can go to Cowboys games, but there has to be something better than StubHub or Ticketmaster. Surely there's a better workaround. If you got suggestions for me, a dad could use some help. On he went ahead with StubHub this time. You're welcome for the free advertising. But I wonder if there's something more effective. If there's not, then I'll give StubHub their due. But they want to go see those Cowboys. And speaking of, did you see Dell Hansen? Dell Hansen does a great job, by the way, there in Dallas of uh, really trudging up the drama. Uh, you can beat a woman and play for the Cowboys, but you, um, if you kneel at the anthem, you can't. In the anthem, that's a whole dumb conversation, but... You know, it makes for good fodder. You can't tell me uh, how many people are in your city council or how many seats are in the Texas House, but uh, we can all talk about the National Anthem, which all goes back to my big axiom of, I don't want to hear what you have to say unless you voted. Well, I will. I'll listen to you. But at the end of the day, if you don't put a vote with with your opinion, then, you know, it's all just barbershop talk at that point. Uh, Put a vote with it. Um... One quick thing, and I did, I got a text about this. I just clicked the link. I didn't see it during the interview. I was busy listening to what the congressman had to say. That will be up on OtherSideOfTexas.com, and there on our podcast there at Apple, uh, Other Side of Texas. Just go search for it and subscribe to it, and you'll get Congressman Hurd's uh, interview there. Uh, that's some, some pretty... Uh, I'll have to go back and listen to it because I don't want to quote them without listening to it. But I was really intrigued about the impeachment question. And uh, he's a pretty hard liner whenever it comes to Russia and uh, that the president was essentially duped by Russia and uh, focusing on China. Uh, For his criticisms, I'll give him credit that he breaks it down in such a way that makes it accessible. Whether that's the border and the wall, um or going and looking rather than looking at everybody across the board focusing on one thing like the china the china and that's an old archive we'll try to get trump on a nokia on this week i will uh, the text is about a cbs uh, jeff sends in hackers break into voting machines within two hours at defcon Hackers from around the world had the rare opportunity to crack election-style voting machines this weekend in Las Vegas, and they didn't disappoint. After nearly an hour and a half, somebody with the last name I cannot, um, an associate professor of IT University of Copenhagen, successfully cracked into a voting machine in Las Vegas's DEFCON convention on Friday. The question the congressman heard was uh, we'll where we'll leave the program is it time to go to paper voting go back to paper ballots and there are upsides and minuses there who's and it's an old lyndon johnson throwback who's counting the votes and that's what matters i can't remember if that was was that johnson or stalin see what i did there rounded out the program more of this program headed your way tomorrow thank you for listening appreciate your thoughts your recommendations you got people that you want us to reach out to uh, to be on the program to cover the topics that we do speaking from and for the other sides of texas 
I'll take those recommendations. You just send them to us there. Either show at othersideoftexas.com, J-A-Y at othersideoftexas.com. So that does it here for this edition. And uh, we hope keep on hanging out with us here on the other side of Texas. Going to go home. Got to get home. Above average dinner.